Hello, my Rebels. Today I talk a little bit about the Glasgow Global Warming Conference and what it would mean if we actually followed Justin Trudeau's orders and capped and then eliminated Canadian oil. Would that mean that people stopped driving or stopped flying or would it just mean that they would burn OPEC oil instead? I'll take you through it. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's a video version of this podcast. I like to think it's got extra bells and whistles. Along with that, if you subscribe to Rebel News Plus, besides my daily video, you get weekly videos from Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, and Andrew Chapados. And it's just eight bucks a month, but that eight bucks goes a long way with us because we don't get any money from the government, one of the few media who don't. So just go to Rebel News Plus and click subscribe. Thanks so much. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, Justin Trudeau pledges to replace Canadian ethical oil with foreign conflict oil to help the planet, you see. It's November 2nd, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're the biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government is about why I publish it. It's because it's my bloody right to do so. We haven't talked about oil and gas for a while, even though it's one of my favorite subjects. I wrote two books about it, Ethical Oil, The Case for Canada's Oil Sands, and Groundswell, The Case for Fracking. Uh, I love those books. I love getting to know the science and technology behind each miraculous method. I love meeting the people who are the champions of the project. I love seeing how it improved the prosperity of those communities that embraced it, and I even love fighting back against the antis, the anti-oil sands, anti-frackers who oppose them. But alas, the last two years, the crisis of the lockdowns and now forced vaccines and mass firings, segregation, have pushed almost every other conversation aside. As you know, Sheila Gunn-Reed uh, used to attend global warming conferences held by the UN around the world crowdfunded by our viewers to travel there, our viewers who wanted to hear the other side of the story. Although the cities where these conferences were held sound like exotic vacation spots, Marrakesh and Madrid, for example, Sheila, of course, worked around the clock. It was the tens of thousands of climate lobbyists and bureaucrats who were having the five-star meals and luxury accommodations and private jets, etc. Sheila, as you know, was banned from UN conferences after her first one because she dared to ask prickly questions. I mean, remember this one at a conference lecturing us about wasting water. They literally watered the desert to keep the dust off the shoes of the politicians. Every morning, this is my favorite part. Every morning, a little truck comes by and waters the ground so that there's so that there's no dust getting on the shoes of the fancy people in the middle of the desert. And these are the people who behind closed doors are writing policies to make me flush my toilet only half the time. And then by accident, Sheila discovered that the electric car charging stations were fake. 
My team and I have been at COP22 now for two full days, and on both days we noticed these little electric car chargers, and both days we noticed that nobody was using them. So we thought we'd hang out for a little bit and see if anybody's actually using them or if they're just for show. Yeah, Sheila asked too many questions. They didn't allow her back after that. But that was actually a blessing in disguise. You see, what happens inside these conferences is scripted and managed and spun. You don't actually learn anything other than the government's talking points, which we already know. But outside, free to poke around, you can learn things like this fun one. So I noticed there's these cords on the ground, like the tentacle of the UN octopus reaching into my life and into my wallet. So they're laying across the ground. Let's just see where they go. So the UN Climate Change Conference is kept snugly warm and inflated because of our old friend fossil fuels. If you see there on the sign, it says that these generators run off diesel fuel. The pandemic canceled the annual global warming conference last year. You'd think they'd just have stuck with Zoom or Skype, electronic meetings, but you see, they love travel and they love to meet in person like we all do, like all humans do. We don't wanna live our entire lives in front of a screen. At least most of us don't. We want human interaction, we crave it. No vax passports, no masks. And lucky for the United Nations jet set, all of those rules have been relaxed just for the fancy class at this giant convention in Glasgow, Scotland. Seriously, I mean, in for a penny, in for a pound, as they would say in the UK. Here's Prince Charles, who travels by private jet, who is a vast estate, a huge staff, lives, you know, like a king, but he's saying that we have to wage a military-style campaign to transform the economy, and by we, he means you. So, ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions of dollars. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. Yeah, it's not just that he's a hypocrite flying in private jets while telling you to live smaller. What is a nonpartisan prince, a man who would be king, doing weighing in on political matters? Didn't the queen fire Prince Harry for less? What a disgrace Charles is. I hope the queen lives to be, lives to be 120. Anyway, in Glasgow, they've gone uh, this year, tens of thousands of them. And while we didn't send Sheila Gunn-Reed this year, we sent our friend Lewis Brackpool, our new British reporter, who's already getting the hang of it. I mean, do you think a single other journalist there would tell this story? So let's see 
let's do net, net zero. Anyways, my point today uh, about oil and gas is brought to mind by watching this attack speech by Justin Trudeau. He's attacking not China, his favorite place, which happens to be the world's biggest carbon dioxide emitter, not India, not OPEC, not Russia, but attacking his own countrymen, or Albertans at least, saying he's going to cap the amount of oil and gas produced and then eliminate it. And he says this while standing in front of the flag of the United Nations. We know pollution pricing is key to getting emissions down while getting innovation up and running. Our carbon price trajectory is one of the most globally ambitious ones, and it's rising to $170 a tonne in 2030. This is a meaningful price on pollution designed not just to make life cleaner, but also make life more affordable and less expensive for Canadians. I call on other countries to do the same. Just as globally we've agreed to a minimum corporate tax, we must work together to ensure it is no longer free to pollute anywhere in the world. That means establishing a shared minimum standard for pricing pollution. Of course, What's even better than pricing emissions is ensuring that they don't happen in the first place. Which brings me to my next major commitment. We'll cap oil and gas sector emissions today and ensure they decrease tomorrow at a pace and scale needed to reach net zero by 2050. How can you call yourself a climate activist if you don't even mention China? By far the largest emitter uh, of not just carbon dioxide, but real pollution too. And a country, China, that is building more coal-fired power plants than the rest of the world combined. Trudeau actually believes China is the best environmentalist. They're the worst. He says they're the best. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. Yeah, stupid or malicious, take your pick for Trudeau. But the world won't stop driving if Canada makes less oil. Trudeau won't stop flying to Tofino using jet fuel. He won't stop partying like a rock star, like he did in Europe this week. No mask, no social distancing, super spreader event. Trudeau will continue to party and live a high energy lifestyle. By energy, I mean oil and gas and coal. He'll just insist that the energy he burns comes from other places that make energy, not Canada. And in the world today, those other places are Saudi Arabia, Iran, Venezuela, Nigeria, Nigeria, Russia, basically the world's authoritarian regimes, including a number of terrorist-supporting countries like Qatar. Because every barrel of oil not produced by Canada will be made up for by Saudi Arabia and the rest of OPEC. They can increase or decrease production at will to keep the price where they want it and to meet the demand the world has uh, for oil, including, in fact, in Canada itself. Let me show you this. This is a Canadian government graph. Canada is a net exporter of oil, but we also do import oil 
more than half a million barrels a day at about 100 bucks Canadian. That's 50 million Canadian dollars a day we spend on bringing foreign oil into Canada. In the past 10 years, as you can see from the dark blue lines, most of that now comes from the United States. Isn't that nuts? We export oil to the States, but they export it back to us too, at a higher price, by the way. And it's largely fracked oil from North Dakota, costs more than Canadian oil, and it comes in by train. How do you feel about that? It was a fracked oil train from America that exploded and burned in Lac Megantic, Quebec. I'm not against trains, even though they're not as safe as pipelines. And I love fracking. As I mentioned, I wrote a book defending it. I'm just saying those are things that environmentalists typically say they hate, oil, fracking, and America. Yet under Trudeau, imports of fracked American oil has skyrocketed precisely because Trudeau has shut down three Canadian pipelines that would have displaced all that fracked oil. I seriously wonder if Trudeau is getting some sort of quiet commission from US competitors. You can see Saudi Arabia is the next biggest source of Canadian imports, that's the dark red line. But the thing is, you heard Trudeau, he wants to stop and then eliminate Canadian oil and gas, which means everything you burn will have to come from somewhere, the US, Saudi Arabia, Russia, other sources, why? By the way, those oil imports aren't charged carbon taxes. Trudeau already favors them over Canadian oil, which he does tax. But just from a common sense point of view, why are you eliminating a huge source of tax revenue? Why are you just handing the market over to OPEC and Russia? What are you doing? I don't know the answer. Same reason why Trudeau doesn't breathe a word against China the largest greenhouse gas emitter in the world? Yeah, what a joke. But like the absolute lockstep between big media on the one hand and big government and big pharma on the other, look at the lockstep between big media on the one hand and big government and big green. Subsidies, taxes, regulations, the whole fear, the whole mania. Now they're calling for climate lockdowns. I tell you, you can't trust them and Aaron O'Toole, the alleged conservative leader, is silent on Trudeau's speech. Have you seen him condemn Trudeau yet? He agrees with him. And why is Jason Kenney and Scott Moe, why are they and the other energy producing premiers not over there in Glasgow countering these slanders? Why are the chambers of commerce on side with this? Well, frankly, why are 90% of oil company executives promoting all this carbon tax green scheme madness. And you just can't trust one in a thousand journalists on this either. Well, maybe one in a thousand. To see Lewis's vids, go to rebelun.com. Stay with us. Next, an interview I did with Spencer Fernando before I got my hair cut. back. Well, as you know, we cover the crisis of our age, the pandemic, the lockdowns, the forced vaccinations, and in general, the shrinking of our civil liberties and the growth of authoritarian government. It's been very troubling. And frankly, the surprising bullies have come from places you wouldn't expect. It. Scott Moe, the premier of Saskatchewan, with his snitch lines and setting up 
internment camps. I know that that's a word that he would probably bristle at, but what do you call it? Where health officers can order someone to be detained and sent there. And Manitoba's Premier, Brian Pallister, positively boasted about being the most authoritarian enforcer of lockdowns, naming and shaming his opponents. In fact, threatening and carrying out the threat at Maxime Bernier, the federal politician who dared to campaign in Manitoba against Brian Pallister's wishes. Well, Brian Pallister is out and a new premier is in. And here to join us uh, to talk about it, who is the new premier of Manitoba, our friend Spencer Fernando from the website, spencerfernando.com. Hey, Spencer, great to see you again. Thanks for taking the time. I, uh, I want to ask you, who is the new premier of Manitoba? Because outside of the province, I don't think most Canadians know who she is. Yeah, well, Heather Stephenson, she's been involved in the PC party for a long time. Uh, she's done, I uh, think, you know, a lot of different uh, ministerial roles at a pretty high level. So she's very experienced. And I think the big thing for her was she's seen as more uh, conciliatory and more willing to listen to the MLAs. I think there was really a perception that Pallister ran a very top-down centralized uh, government that didn't really take much input. A lot of decisions were made really without MLAs having any input. They were just kind of told what to do. And, you know, when I worked there for a short time, I saw certainly a lot of that even when they weren't uh, in, in government. So I think that trend really continued. So I think the big thing was that she's seen as someone who's going to listen more to MLAs, you know, and uh, include people more in decision-making, and I think that's one of the reasons she had the endorsement of so many of her colleagues. And obviously, she's uh, trying to take a different approach, and the parties, hey, they're, they're not doing too well in the polls. So I think they're really trying to rebrand away from the, uh, the Pallister image. Well, I think that, uh, it, I mean, just the first woman premier, not that we believe gender is a, the, an important requirement. I mean, a male or a female, black, white, brown, whatever color. What we care about is the content of someone's character and their ideas. But I think it is a very clear reset from Brian Pallister. Let me ask you, um, is it, I mean, if she was part of a very disciplined caucus and cabinet, maybe it's tough to tell, but where is she? ideologically is she a hardcore lockdowner is she i don't know on the conservative side is she more on the red tory side what can you say about her ideas yeah definitely more of a moderate conservative uh, you know much of the the pc party or at least the pc government has fully embraced lockdowns and i don't see that changing at all i guess they they must think it's popular or they must feel that they're being pressured into it whatever it is i don't see a big change in that kind of policy I think at this point, you know, regardless of where someone is on the political spectrum, in terms of elected governments in, in across the country at the provincial level, they're basically just looking at each other and kind of copying each other and no one wants to stand out, no one wants to make a tough decision, no one wants to stand up for civil uh, liberties or freedoms. So I think I don't see much of a change. Maybe the tone will change and I might try to be a little nicer about how they restrict people, but it's not going to change the actual content of policy that much. That makes me very sad. I just wish there was one premier or one, forget about premier, one opposition leader in this country who would be, you know, opposing things. Well, listen, we'll keep our eyes peeled for how Heather Stephenson does. Thanks for the quick briefing on her. But let's talk about an issue that I know you care about and have been following. It's the annual global warming conference convened by the United Nations. Now, they use lots of jargon 
think they do that in, on purpose to make it seem mysterious and to keep people out and to seem smarter than you. Like they don't call it a global warming convention. They call it COP26, which stands for the Conference of the Parties. This is the 26th time they've had their annual luxury getaway. This time it's in Glasgow, Scotland. And I want to tell you, Spencer, we have our own reporter on the ground. We often send Sheila Gunn-Reed to these things, but this time we send our British reporter, uh, Lewis, so he's going to be reporting from there. We'll have him on the show tomorrow. Um, things are just getting underway. Uh, is this any different from any of the previous 25 conventions? It's just politicians, bureaucrats, and lobbyists meeting to, I don't know, continue the process. It's like the Arab-Israeli peace process for so long. It was about the process, not about the peace. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your take on the 26th meeting of these global warming bureaucrats? Well, it's interesting to see, you know, leaders seem to be going in very different directions. You have, obviously, China, who is, uh, they're clearly not taking it too seriously. We, we all, we've all seen that they plan to massively expand coal production in the in the coming years so obviously undoing completely anything canada does we could you know ruin our entire economy shut down the whole country and you know turn off all the lights and china would still undo anything we did right so so china doesn't take it too seriously you know other countries i think i saw india is saying that they're going to go carbon neutral by uh, or net zero by 2070 i mean okay that's that's quite a long ways off so, but of course, then you have other leaders like Justin Trudeau, and they're going all in, and they're willing to sacrifice their own countries and their own economic growth and their own national unity, so he can get a few nice sound bites and look like he's, you know, part of saving the world supposedly. So that's there's really a, a big divergence there, and uh, Trudeau unfortunately is talking about, you know, shutting down or, or you know, capping our emissions in the oil and gas sector, which would of course be devastating for the sector and for our economy. He's, he's going all in on that, and that's going to be very bad for Canada. Yeah, we got a clip of that, and I think it's just classic. He's standing in front of the UK flag because it is in Glasgow. So I'm glad it's a UK flag. I mean, a couple of years ago, that would have been the European Union flag, which is just <laughs> the worst flag. But it's, he, there's also a United Nations flag. So here it is, Justin Trudeau in front of the UN flag at a foreign summit promising to cap production of oil and gas and then slowly bring it down to zero, a speech that could have been written by OPEC or Russia. They must be so delighted. Take a look. We know pollution pricing is key to getting emissions down while getting innovation up and running. Our carbon price trajectory is one of the most globally ambitious ones, and it's rising to $170 a ton in 2030. This is a meaningful price on pollution designed not just to make life cleaner, but also make life more affordable and less expensive for Canadians. I call on other countries to do the same. Just as globally we've agreed to a minimum corporate tax, we must work together to ensure it is no longer free to pollute anywhere in the world. That means establishing a shared minimum standard for pricing pollution. Of course, what's even better than pricing emissions is ensuring that they don't happen in the first place. Which brings me to my next major commitment, We'll cap 
oil and gas sector emissions today and ensure they decrease tomorrow at a pace and scale needed to reach net zero by 2050. Well, there you have it. Justin Trudeau loves de declaring war on Canadian industry. I don't know why he wouldn't promote Canada's natural gas. We're one of the largest natural gas producers in the world. It's one of the cleanest burning fuels. If you're worried about carbon dioxide, and I am not personally, but some people are, shouldn't we develop our natural gas, or LNG as it's sometimes called, to replace China's appetite for coal, India's appetite for coal? Instead, he just wants to shut it all down. I mean, I don't know if he actually means it. I sort of think he does. What do you think? Yeah, it's, you know, it's almost taken on in a strange way, a kind of religious aspect. You know, there's something almost faith-based lately about the environmental movement. And it's it's basically, you know, it's like, you know, purity versus, you know, things that are dirty, right? So the Canadian energy apparently is dirty now, right? So it's it's untouchable. You can't have anything to do with that. It must be punished. You know, it's 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 evil. It's terrible. And so, you know, when, when that kind of thinking predominates, uh, it's not really a logical discussion at this point. Right. You have people, I think, like ourselves who would say, well, if you look at the numbers, Canada contributes very little to global emissions and our energy is often cleaner, environmental standards higher labor standards are higher than many of the countries that will simply step in and replace any production uh, we don't produce. So we're not changing emissions at all in the world. We're lowering labor standards if other countries produce it. We're lowering environmental standards if other countries produce it. And then we just lose money in other countries, often dictatorships and authoritarian states, end up gaining money. So there's no real, obviously, net benefit for the world. It just hurts Canada and benefits other people. But it hasn't really become, it's not really a logical discussion anymore, right? So people who are completely convinced that they're on a grand crusade to save the planet and, you know, they're, they're going to cast out all the dirty energy, you know, that you can't really, you can't really talk to people uh, in a logical manner when that's their way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I want to show you uh, just one more thing before we go. I saw that Jeffrey Bezos, one of the world's richest men, the boss of Amazon, I don't know how many private jets he has, but it's more than one. So he flew mm -hmm. in to talk about reducing carbon footprints. I just love mm -hmm. that. But uh, it takes the cake to me that Prince Charles, who has put more than 100,000 miles on his private jet in, in recent years, uh, was talking about a military-style campaign to radically transform our economy. I just got to play this clip for you. It's, it's so outlandish coming from another gazillionaire. But I got to tell you, Spencer, I'm, I'm a monarchist. I don't know about you. I love the royal family. I, I prefer a constitutional monarchy to a republic. But listening to Prince Charles talk like a dime store politician really really rocks my faith in the in the future of that institution take a look at prince charles so ladies and gentlemen my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required we know this will take trillions not billions of dollars we also know that countries many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP, 
and with the greatest respect beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. I don't know, Spencer. I, just, I know he's always had a, uh, a hankering for global warming talk, and maybe I should ignore it. But I like my royals um, quiet and reserved. And when they say something, it's unifying, not divisive. I, I got a feeling of Prince Harry and Meghan there, um, you know, a bit of a, a political um, activist. I, I didn't see Queen Elizabeth II's proper heir there. What did you think? Yeah, I'm personally not a big fan of the monarchy. You know, I have a lot of respect for the Queen, but I think the, the issue is just what we're seeing with Prince Charles, right, is it's a system where people can vote it out. They can't have any really control over it. And if you end up with a bad, you know, successor, then, okay, you're kind of screwed, right? You're stuck with that person. So I think that's, that's going to become an issue. And he's going to put the royal family, I think, in, in serious jeopardy if he continues doing this. Because, as you say, he's talking like a politician, right? And that's not what people expect. The Queen is very good at realizing how far she can go in terms of certain things, you know, where to stay out of, how to, you know, she's, she's vague about a lot of things, which is kind of the point, right? Yeah. You can't be a unifying figure if you're taking extremely strong political stances, and he's obviously doing the opposite, and I don't think people are going to be too pleased. Yeah, I, it, it, it makes me worried. Well, Spencer, it's great to catch up with you. It'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see how this unfolds. We've got our reporter, Lewis, over there, and we'll hear from him tomorrow. I know he's already had some adventures. Spencer, great to see you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, good talking to you. Right on. There you have it. Spencer Fernando, the boss of SpencerFernando.com. Stay with us. More ahead. Welcome back. Your viewer feedback. Samai Pata says, I would love to see a Freedom of Information Act request and numbers released about the orders of cardboard water containers. Since we've been told by our government's leader, that is what he's using. You're talking about Trudeau and if he really is being, you know, getting off plastic when he's drinking water. I, I've seen some of those cardboard water bottle type things. You know, we're talking about this old clip from Trudeau. Just so you know, cardboard is not waterproof on its own. It has to have a layer of plastic on it, and in many cases, that got a layer of foil. I, I just don't think Trudeau knows anything about anything other than he has to do what's fashionable. Dee Flaherty says, they held Parliament via Zoom, just saying. Yeah, well, you know, Trudeau didn't want Parliament there. He wants to rule by fiat. But these global warming conferences, they're about getting together and partying in person. They're not about actually passing laws or actually doing anything. Bruce Atchison says, let's go, Ezra. Let's go, Sheila. Let's go, Mocha. Let's go, Andrew. Let's go, Adam. Let's go, Lewis. Let's go, K2. Let's go, Lincoln. And let's go, Rebels. That's pretty friendly. Thank you for that. You know what? I kid you not, we have been hiring new teammates almost every day. Yesterday, we had two new interns join us. And um, you know what? I, I don't want to give away a reporter we're looking at hiring in another jurisdiction. But Rebel News has never had more friends on board making videos for you. And I'm glad you see that footprint, and I think it's a more important time than ever to tell the other side of the story. Well, that's our show for today. And until tomorrow, I want to 
tell you to keep fighting for freedom. But I want to leave you with this video of the day from the aforementioned Mocha, who went to Manitoba to tell the story of a foster family being torn apart by a government order about vaccines. I'll let the story speak for itself until tomorrow when you keep fighting for freedom. A foster care agency in Manitoba is forcing its employees and the foster parents to take the COVID vaccine. That's where I get my my funding for, you know, the treatment care that I have to give. Some foster parents, such as Sharon, came forward to express their worries. That's what I'll be losing at this time. But if I don't speak up now, it could trickle down and the agencies will then start demanding also. We have the elite people living in the Remy, the biological grandparent of the kids which Sharon is taking care of, who is also a foster parent himself, does not want to vaccinate his grandchildren. They're not God. If the agency were to make it compulsory for the kids by using the same rationale it did for its employees and foster parents. And agencies are the ones that are enforcing it really more so than the government at this point. She's in a position where she needs to protect children and, and that's exactly what she's doing, is protecting them. There's a price to pay for all what's being done right now to them. It's not gonna fall on me or my grandchildren. Like, we'll go on living. I was given a letter from my uh, agency that I work for stating that I would no longer be allowed to work for them due to the fact that I didn't have the vaccine. Uh, what I do for a living is I'm a foster parent. And as a foster parent, I, I'm at home. Many of these kids come in, they're, they're uh, treatment foster care system and they've been in eight nine homes already so now to throw this onto the parents that have had children for you know uh two three four 19 years i've had kids uh stay in my home uh to throw this into the the mix is just uh taking that attachment piece and ripping it apart for the children that have uh come to love the homes that they're in and are supported to get through whatever issues they may have. The letter that was sent to Sharon by the agency did not give her any options such as self-testing. The only option they gave is to get the vaccine or gave up the financial support that she needs in order to sustain the four special kids that she is currently taking care of. We went through a year and a half with no vaccine. Everybody was fine. We all pulled our weight. I homeschooled during that time. I, I have no problems with the mask wearing. I have no problems with the testing. But that's not an option in this case. Remy Olson, the grandparent of the kids that Sharon's taking care of, also a foster parent himself, comes in support of Sharon. I don't think anybody should be going through what she's going, right, going through right now, especially being forced to do what what they want. That's what's happening. Sharon has raised seven kids in total from the Olson family. The closest biological parents of the kids that Sharon is taking care of are okay with Sharon not taking the vaccine. But why does the agency have to stick its nose in between and cause headache for everybody? So I've been with uh, Remy's family for 19 years and I've raised seven children in foster care and I had two children of my own that are older. So nine children in total. So through the years, um, Remy and I have gotten to know each other quite well. And Remy and I, and Remy's wife, Amanda, we're a team. 
We're a team that work together and do our best to protect and make sure that the kids are, are um, getting what they need. She's in a position where she needs to protect children. And, and that's exactly what she's doing, is protecting them. Until they can come up with something better, a better story or a better lie, <laughs> it's probably still not going to work anyway because uh, most women are, are protective of all children anyway. And we are also put in a position where we also protect them as men. We protect our families. We are warriors, and that's the way it's going to stay. We did reach out to Marymount, the agency that is forcing foster parents and its employees to get the vaccines, but it also seeks to compel them to take the booster shots as it becomes available. Unfortunately, Marymount did not respond to our media inquiry. And we also now know that you can get a third dose. So your, your coverage with this vaccine is maybe six months. So how often do we have to get a, uh, a dose of this vaccine? Our first the Liberal Party has campaigned on vaccinating the children. ...is to get through this pandemic. And I want to bring in those boosters for Canadians... And I want to make sure that our 5 to 11-year-olds get vaccinated. Despite children being the strongest age group of all when it comes to deaths, ICU admissions and hospitalizations, even though the data doesn't add up, this didn't stop Justin Trudeau. But you know who else can't get vaccinated yet? Betty can't because she's only nine. And just as we all step up to protect our elders, as we have over the past many months, Adults and grandparents across the country need to get vaccinated to protect Betty and my son, Hadrian, who's seven, and all the kids across the country who want to get vaccinated but can't yet. Remy doesn't want his grandbabies vaccinated. I have to respect that. Well, the only way to <laughs> the end game to get rid of all this is get rid of the politicians, for one thing. They need to stay the hell out of health and science and everything else because they don't know nothing about it. Uh, one of the things that's lacking in all areas of, uh, of people, it's, it's uh, the mind, body, and the spirit. Uh, they're, they're missing one part of that. And a lot of people are just thinking. They're, it's not connected to their heart or their spirit. So how could they actually make choices or let anybody else make choices for them? Yeah. Remy Olsen does not trust the government. Residential school, how well did he do there? He does not trust the justice system either. Well, the thing about the justice system, it ain't ours. In Canada, it is legal to give a COVID-19 vaccine to an underage kid without their parents' consent. You look at uh, day school, how, how different is that? We're all herded into little lines and we're getting needles almost every week and we didn't know what they were. Our parents didn't even know we were getting needles. So, you know, you look at today, how much different did that, is that now? And there's no way that I'm going to allow that to happen to my grandchildren or, or my nephews, my nieces. So pleased to have uh, the family members uh, to the kids that I do care for, for their support and their backing. It means so much to me. Marymount does promise to accommodate those who may be exempt from the vaccine due to health or religious reasons. Our people, we have a way of life. Is that considered a religion? Give us a true definition of what religion is. How many different denominations do you have? You have the Catholic, the Anglicans, the Protestants, all these different religions. So which one is the right one? 
where you can be exempt from getting uh, immunized or the needle or whatever. Do you think you could seek refuge in the justice system? Um, that's, that is possible, but that takes time. And, and with things moving so slowly and with so many people in, in the need to, to uh, defend their jobs and defend their own human rights, I think the only refuge I have now is the uh, parents and grandparents of the children that I care for. Fight. Fight for your rights. Fight for your own freedom. The freedom to think freely, eh? And, uh, and really take a good look at what's going on right now. We're a team. You know, we're going to stand strong together and do what's best for everybody involved. We're all human beings. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to it, that's, that's why should it be any different just because their skin is a different color. You know? We will be closely monitoring the situation in Manitoba. In any event, right now, we are providing lawyers for the family. If you would like to learn more, click the link in the description below. Or if you would like to chip in, please go to fightvaccinepassports.com.